Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Okay, well, we um, were scheduled today to continue our journey through the Ten Commandments, which is a sub-series in our uh, journey through Exodus. And some of you may have been aware that Pastor James' dad has been sick for a while. And we uh, found out that this morning that uh, he is now with the Savior. And so, uh, obviously, Pastor James is not here to, to preach today. So we do ask that you be in prayer for the nice songs. Um, but we, we love them. And uh, so please, please be in prayer for them. So I get to fill in today. Um, next man up, as it as it were. Um, and as I was praying about um, going through a message today, and what what should I preach? This message that I'm going to bring just was like immediately on the short list because it's something I need to be reminded of. If you're a, if you're um, an original uh, Reach Life member, have been around for a long time, or maybe you're at the church where we were meeting before, you may remember. Um, this message, um, but we're going to be in James chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. There is um, no doubt that we live in a world of um, and really high tensions, right? It's in the news. There's lots of tensions in the world right now, um, and really it's a tension of waiting. Maybe, um, you know, like, like the people of of Ukraine. And by the way, thank you the ladies who came to pray for uh, Ukraine this morning. Um, you're waiting for peace. Maybe you're waiting for your own peace in your life. Maybe you are waiting for companionship, for stability. Or like me, you're, you're waiting for physical healing in your life. Um, in our Exodus series, we have kind of called this waiting thing the already not yet. Right, like we are, all, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, been made new by Him, are already part of God's kingdom. We are already His children, but we are not yet in the fulfillment of the kingdom. We are still in this desperately broken world, and we are often desperately broken and hurting people. Uh, we're waiting for deliverance, and so before I get into the message, why don't I pray for us, and we can pray together and uh, ask the Lord to speak to us. Lord, thank you for your provision for us. Uh, we, have, we have our lives here this morning. We are breathing. Our hearts are beating. We are here hearing of your grace. Lord, we want to be sure to pray for uh, the nice songs. We thank you that um, fourth nice song was a, a man who uh, had been made new by, G by Jesus, who now has met the Savior. Um, he's no longer waiting. And Lord, Lord, so we thank you for the truth of the gospel. Um, I pray that us here today who are still waiting on deliverance or companionship or peace, whatever it may be, Lord, that you would meet us in our waiting today, that you would speak to us um, through your word today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 
well, today I want to talk about a virtue that is or can be a really powerful ally in our waiting while we wait. It's a, it's a lost virtue. It's the virtue of patience. So today I want to talk to you um, about the lost virtue, virtue of patience in a message that I'm calling, Don't Eat the Marshmallow. Don't eat the marshmallow. And you'll see what I mean by that. It's a virtue of waiting, of, of trusting in patience while we wait. And you know, the idea of, of, of patience, I don't even like the word, to be quite honest with you. When somebody tells me to have patience, you, you know why they would tell me that? Because I'm currently being impatient, <laughs> right? And I don't want to hear someone tell me, be patient. Um, so it's a, we hear that patience is a virtue, but it's not a virtue that we really want to cultivate very often. We want what we want when we want it, and that's usually uh, where we think we need it. That's, it's usually right now. But I think we dislike the idea of patience because we misunderstand it. So I want to first talk to us about the nature and necessity of patience. We're going to see that in our passage today. I told you we would be in James chapter 5, and we're going to begin in verse 7 looking at the nature and necessity of patience. The passage begins with a command, and it's a command to be patient. Just take a look at, at verse 7. It says, be patient, therefore, brothers. And by the way, that, that phrase is like saying, hey, you guys. It's a general generality that means brothers and sisters. So be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth being patient about it until it receives the early and the latter rains. Let's, let's stop there for now. Um, just being real honest, I, by my natural disposition, am not a patient person. Any, anybody else not patient besides me? We are not patient people. Look at this. <laughs> okay, well, God help us live uh, with one another very well, right? Um, so I'm glad to see I'm not the only one. But that's, that's just by, you know, I, I like... I'm a very uh, melancholy personality. I have a routine. All things are set up on a schedule for me. I plan everything out. I know when I'm going to take naps. I know when I'm going to eat. I know when I'm going to study. I, like, right? Like, I have a plan. That's how I operate best. And I want things to go according to my plan. And when they don't go according to my plan, I want them fixed back according to my plan as quickly as possible. Anybody else besides me? I see Jerry's nodding your head. I'm with you. I'm with you. Right? Um, so... It's because I think um, so. We we say patience is a good thing, but what I just described about myself doesn't sound a whole lot like patience, does it? Man, especially when something in life bumps me and gets me out of what I thought my schedule was going to be, or my routine was going to be, or the way I think I operate best. I suddenly don't look very patient, and I think at the heart of it, and in, in my soul somewhere, I think it's because I, I believe, in the back of my mind, I'm being denied something that I think I deserve. I think that's what happens uh, in my soul, is I I'm kind of self-reflect and, and look at what's going on in, in, my, in my soul. And we think that in being denied something that we think we deserve, it's, it's like we... Um, 
If we don't have that thing, now all of a sudden that thing that we think we deserve but we don't have is all we can think about. I don't have that thing. I may have all this, all my blessings. I could count my blessings, but I'm not focused. You know, that, that thing right there is what I don't have. And so that's what we, we get like tunnel vision, and that's all we can see is that thing, right? Objects in, uh, in the mirror where we are closer than they appear or whatever, right? Like whatever is closest to us, we feel the most, looks the biggest to us. And usually that's the thing that we don't have. Yet here in our text, the Lord, uh, through the Apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus, is commanding us to be patient. Well, I don't like patience, and I don't like to be commanded anything. You guys like commands. You like to receive commands. Truthfully, we don't. So, But here in our text, God is commanding us uh, I don't need a command. I, I need what I want, right? And I, my patience will be, I, I won't need patience anymore. Um, do you remember a time when you thought something was wrong in your life because it, it needed to be fixed immediately, but somebody told you to be patient? Even in the little stuff, maybe like, man, I'm not getting where I want to be in my job. And your boss is like, you're working hard, be patient. Right or, and I'm not seeing the results I want to have in the gym. And you're you're if you're a guy, your buddy who's like three percent body fat and all muscles, like be patient, bro. Right, like you're working hard, keep at it, be patient. You know, I remember myself in in middle school, in high school, I was like, man, if I could grow out of my acne, I would pay any amount of money. I had acne on top of acne. Right, and my dermatologist is like Terry, you're gonna have to be patient, man. <laughs> you're gonna have to, listen. I've given you all the medication I can. You're just gonna have to be patient. And that's, but that's those are the little things. And we get frustrated in the little things. What about when we were being told to be patient with the big stuff? You know, man, I, I really want to be free from this sin that I know plagues me. And the Lord says, "Lean into me." And be patient. You may feel like, man, I, I want sexual satisfaction right now. I don't want to wait until I'm married. The Lord says, be patient. Or I want to be married, <laughs> right? Uh, and the Lord is saying, be patient. And again, maybe you're like me, and the thing you want is to not suffer anymore. You know, why, does my, why doesn't the Lord heal my brain? In my body. Why do I have to hurt so much? And the Lord says, be patient. Man, that could drive me crazy. I don't know about you guys. I'm just being real, transparent this morning. Um, I, don't, I don't like hearing that. Uh, but notice in our text, there's something really wonderful that I think we should be thankful for in this verse, that there is a time limit attached to the command to be patient. It's a time limit. Notice what it says. It says, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. In other words, we're not called to be patient forever. So when the Lord's, you know, at some point, the Lord's patience with sin and the rebellion of the world will be over. 
and he will return. And when his patience is over, our patience can be over too, right? He will return. And that's a fixed point that we can count on. And, and listen, we should take heart in that because it means that we're not being called to have infinite patience, right? There, there is a, an end in sight. There is a time limit, and praise God for that, that we're not being called to have infinite patience. Um, we can know that Jesus will indeed make all things new. That is a future fact. Like it's a fact of the future. Uh, just as we know that Jesus' um, birth, burial, or birth, death, resurrection are a fact of the past, Jesus' return is a fact of the future. And so the trust that we've placed in his death, burial, and resurrection should also compel us to place our trust in his return. And Lord Jesus, may it be soon. Right? But whenever it is, it is a fixed point in the future. We can count on it. It is a future fact. There's another important thing about patience that I want us to see at the end of the verse, and that is in our patience, we have a direct goal in our sights. Our patience isn't for nothing. Our waiting isn't for nothing. Jesus doesn't waste anything, right? Take a look at it. This is the fulfillment of our patience in the latter part of verse 7. It says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the latter rains. Anybody in here done any farming? No farmers. Will, thank you, brother. I thought you might raise your hand, Will. Yeah. So if you know anything about farming or if you've seen farming on television, Ashevilleites, right? Um, then you know farming is about two things. It's about working really, really hard. I, I had to do tobacco in the summers as, as, a, as a kid. Uh, so farming is about working really, really hard and then waiting. That's really what farming is. Work really, really hard and wait. Uh, the farmer has everything usually invested from his, from his or her life in the farm. And seeing the harvest come involves waiting. So first they work, right? All the money's tied up in the land. Uh, they get up every day before the rooster crows. They till, they plant, they fertilize, they water, they pull weeds day in, day out, blood, sweat, tears, and then they wait, and they wait some more, and they keep waiting. And often the waiting part is harder than putting the work in. You can control the work, right? You can get up in the morning and, okay, I'm going to do it today. I'm, I'm going to feed all the animals like I'm supposed to feed them. I'm going to work the, the fields like I'm supposed to work them. I can control that. You cannot control the harvest. You can't control the waiting, Right, that, and that—that's like the, the the hardest part. You know, the farmer's like, okay, um, I've I've done everything I can do. Now I have to wait. I'm praying for the right amount of sun, the right amount of rain, the right temperatures, no frost, no blight. And for months on end, the farmer can't control a bit of it. And so, during that time when he doesn't know what's going on and he's not in control, or or she, and is waiting. And the sun comes out. They pray. The farmer praises God, but secretly says in their heart, 
yep, but I hope this isn't going to turn into a drought. And when the rain comes, the farmer's like, praise God. But in their heart, it's like, I hope this doesn't turn into a flood. And they don't, they don't know what's going on, and they, they can't know. Um, so maybe you're in a place in your life today that's a lot like the farmer. There's nothing you can do. You're doing what you know to do, but you can't really change your situation. You can't, as much as you want, as, as, as impatient as you are, as, and maybe, maybe truly righteously desiring for a good thing to happen, you can't control it. There's nothing you can do. And emotionally, that can take a toll on us, man. So what do we do? when we have to wait, like the farmer. Well, I would say pause and think. Especially if you're a follower of Jesus, think about what you know to be true. This next sentiment that's coming up on the screen, I want you to seal it on your hearts. You've probably heard it in the culture. This is so true. Do not be a prisoner of the moment. Don't be a prisoner of the moment while you're waiting. God's doing things that you cannot see. God remains sovereign while you wait, right? When in doubt, zoom out, right? It's something I like to live by. When I am down in the weeds of my life and it's looking really crazy, I can lose all kinds of perspective. When in doubt, zoom out, take a look at what I know to be true, take a look at the bigger picture of things. And sometimes we can... We can't really see outside of what's right in front of us. And then we begin to focus on how we feel versus, on what, versus what we know to be true. Our emotions are the focus instead of the truth. Um, you guys know we live in an age of social media where there's like hyper-emotionalism. All emotions are at 11. We're encouraged to feel all the feels in the moment, and to the highest degree possible. We're like encouraged to do that. And because of that, we can lose sight of objectivity, right? Uh, an example would be like um, younger sports fans think that the people who are playing now are the best ever, right? Or if like a teenager who has a really bad day at school and they come home thinking, man, my life is ruined. I'll never have another friend as long as I live. Right, they don't have the big picture perspective. Or maybe there's a dad who sees a particular young man's not good for his daughter, and he says, you can't see that young man. And then the daughter all of a sudden thinks that her dad hates her and is somehow now a murderer of love, right? There's, there's no perspective to judge the feelings that they have. Uh, and by the way, this is not only true of kids and younger people. This is true of people all ages and all times and all places of all demographics. You can see it today, again, on social media with adults who are 100% absolutely certain in all capital letters with 10 memes in a row that they are experts in theology, medical issues, society building, macroeconomics, and foreign policy, and they have no doubt about any of that stuff, right, on social media. There's no perspective, even proper perspective of ourselves. Again, those are the little things, though but they can produce anxiety, panic, bitterness, hostility in our hearts, 
towards other people. The truth is, I think these things that look superficial, social media things and whatever, can come from a really heartfelt place. It's usually because we're waiting. We feel the desperate need for deliverance, and we don't know what to do with it, right? So we begin grasping for answers for the mysteries in life, the complexities, the um, unfairness that we see in life. And we somehow can think in the back of our minds that God doesn't hear us. God doesn't know the pain in our hearts. God doesn't see the farmer waiting, questioning what's going on. Why is there no rain? Why there's no sunshine? Why is there too much sunshine? Why is there too much rain? We can feel like God doesn't hear us. And without God as our anchor, we lose our bearings. We lose our perspective. And then we unwisely let our emotions make us prisoners of the moment. But we don't have to be prisoners of the moment. I want to take a look at a little um, video called the Marshmallow Test. And it was, there was an experiment in the 1960s that was designed to predict future outcomes for kids, maybe behavioral issues or developmental challenges that they may have. And this version that you're going to watch is a clip from um, a, a rep, uh, they kind of redid that study in a church called Flood Church out in San Diego. And they had about seven or eight kids involved. But in this clip that I'm going to show you, it's just one brother and sister. And I thought the interaction between them while they're waiting could speak to us today. It's, it's like two minutes long, but consider it a, a little bit of a, of a parable. Take a look. So just like the marshmallow test, man, there is a time limit on how long we're commanded to be patient. We've seen that in our text. There's a goal to our patience. Uh, we, that we will be rewarded is the next thing I want us to see. There's a goal. If we will wait, there is a goal. We will be rewarded. God is developing our character. Uh, check this out, verse 8. He says, You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the, Lord, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge, that's Jesus, is standing at the door. So again, the text is telling us, man, be patient. Be patient. Do you remember uh, being a kid and your, your parents telling you to be patient? More than once? Well, in our text, God is telling us more than once because it's the kind of thing we need to hear more than once. Um, and your parents would often tell you, like the marshmallow test, if you're patient, you will get a reward. In other words, if you're patient, I promise it will be worth the wait. Hold on. Wait. It may not be easy, but it will be worth it. And it's crucial for us to see what this verse is telling us that we are waiting for. What does it say? It says, you also be patient, establish your hearts. There's character development. What are we waiting for? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. We are waiting for the return of the Savior. 
We'll return to this in just a minute, but I want us to understand that Jesus himself will be our reward for waiting. Jesus is the reward for our waiting. Um, and we need to live in patience for his return. And this can be frustrating because, again, we want the end of our patience to come when we get this thing we think we need or want. Maybe we do need it or want it, but we think that's going to be the end of our patience. Um, but we aren't promised to get what we want. You guys know, you guys know that? We are not promised to have a life that looks like we think we it, that we think it ought to look. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Um, but what you are promised is that Jesus will keep us until he returns. And that when he returns, we will know our waiting will be worth it. Um, we've talked about this, but again, waiting, particularly doing so in patience, is not easy. And this is because God's time scales and God's ways are very often different than what we in our limited status prefer. Um, so waiting isn't easy, but thankfully we don't have to fly blind. We said that there's, there's a time limit to our waiting. There's a goal in our waiting. His name is Jesus. And the next thing you need to, to write down if you're a note taker, we've been given strong examples of patience to follow. People have gone before us to set the path. We see that in verse 10. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. It says, As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Now, let's, let's, be, let's have some real talk here. We may see that it's the return of Jesus that will ultimately bring us uh, salvation or uh, satisfaction and end to our waiting, the culmination of our patience. And that might get you frustrated. It sounds funny to say in church, but you may have just read, man, I get to stop having to be patient when Jesus returns. Why would that frustrate you? Because we don't know when that's going to be. Anybody know when Jesus is returning? So it can be frustrating. See, we think that um, finally getting healed, right? If the Lord gave me a new brain, which he can do, and y'all can pray for that, by the way. Um, we think that getting healed or getting a, that degree or that job or that significant other or having kids or the next thing will be the end of our waiting. But we know that once we've achieved that thing, we, it doesn't ultimately satisfy us. We know that there will always be another thing that we are waiting for. Only Jesus satisfies, and so we patiently await His return. These things, these other things aren't the ultimate goal. Jesus is the ultimate goal. And the reason that's good for us, like we talked about last week in our first commandment, the reason it's good for us that Jesus is the ultimate goal is because only Jesus can satisfy us. What if God pointed your hearts toward other things that could never satisfy you? No, the Lord wants to point your heart away from those things 
and toward Jesus, who alone can satisfy you, and that's for your good. Right? It's good that Jesus is our ultimate goal. So our text tells us that we should consider the history of the Old Testament heroes of faith. You know, the truth is that they looked forward to, to the coming Messiah. None of them saw him. None of these Old Testament prophets who preached about the coming Messiah got to see him. Hebrews 11 is this great hall of faith. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Think about, uh, back those of you who were with our study in Genesis, think about Abraham. God promised Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you, right? The Messiah is going to come through your lineage. Well, did Abraham get to leave, get, get to live to see the Messiah born through his lineage? Nope. Yet Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, we, we, we don't look back at Abraham and say, man, that guy was an idiot for waiting for a promise he never got to see. We have perspective now, don't we? We have history. We can look back and say, man, Abraham's waiting wasn't in vain, was it? God's good for his promises, isn't he? Right? These Old Testament heroes, uh, as sin, sinful as they, as they are, just like us, this hall of faith was, is telling us they trusted in the coming Messiah. And so should we. Uh, we should consider Abraham amazingly blessed by God, a hero of the faith. Our, 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 our passage talks about that as well. Look at verse 11. It says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. If you're a uh, Bible nerd like myself, uh, you may know that that word blessed, we consider those blessed, is actually a transliteration of one Greek word. It's the same root word that Jesus says uh, when he preaches the Sermon on the Mount. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those, uh, blessed are the gentle. And that phrase, blessed, means happiness above earthly suffering. Now, wait a minute. We don't think about that as suffering being intertwined with blessed. We have mistakenly thought, at least this has been me in the past, that those who are blessed are those who don't suffer. Aren't they the blessed ones? Right? That's not what, that's not the, what the Scripture would teach us. That blessing is happiness above earthly suffering. So those were steadfast and blessed. They endured with suffering and patience. And endurance is not normally something that we consider to be happy, is it? Doesn't endurance by definition mean uh, like uh, walking through hardship for an extended period? Isn't that endurance? That doesn't sound happy. But the text tells us walking with endurance is blessing beyond earthly suffering. It's the grind, right? We, we grind away at life, but while we are suffering, the Lord watches. The Lord is with us. How, so how do we endure suffering? How do we uh, become people counted as being happy? Well, it's, again, it's because there's a worthy goal. Uh, that's a result of our Endurance. Actually, two. Number one, God shapes us 
while we wait. How many of you pray more when you're suffering? How many of you realize your dependence on God more when you're suffering? Maybe a little suffering is God's grace to us then. Right? It reminds me of a a Coldplay song, right? Uh, Under this pressure, under this weight, we are diamonds taking shape, right? God allows us to feel the heat, allows us to feel the pressure, and he pulls us close and says, hold on, I got you. Lean to me. I'm shaping. I'm not only preparing a place for you, I'm preparing you for that place. Right? There's, a, there's a, a goal. There's a meaning in our, in our suffering. Remember the, uh, the text said, uh, establish your hearts. This is what's going on. God is establishing our hearts during our waiting, during our suffering. So there's going to come a day when the enduring um, suffering will be over. And now, like fourth Nisong, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Right? That's the hope of the gospel. The Lord promises that. He is preparing us for that place while he prepares the place for us. That's the source of our happiness beyond earthly suffering. And we long for that day. And for all who have placed their faith in Jesus, again, it's a future fact. It is a future fact that the Lord is faithful for His promises. He's good for His Word. That's what it means to be blessed, walking with Him while we wait. That's the definition of being blessed. Well, the Apostle James ends this section with some comments in verse 12. Uh, that might first seem out of, at first seem out of place. But he's talking about trusting and resting in the sovereignty of God while we wait. And when we say sovereignty of God, what we mean is that God is king. He is in control. He's a good king, right? And he is trustworthy. Look at verse 12. But above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Like, why did he put something about oaths in this passage? But doesn't that seem out of context? Like, what what is going on? Well, uh, again, remember this entire passage is talking about patience, trusting God, particularly in suffering. This is, this is the Apostle James doubling down on what he said before. He's telling us, trust God, not your own sufficiency. Don't look to yourself. Do not look to establish yourself by yourself, by your own means. He's telling us to trust God. Um, a lot of Bible scholars think that this letter by the Apostle James is essentially a commentary on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So let's take a look at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus says in regards to taking oaths and that sort of thing. Matthew 5, 33 to 37. It says, again, you have heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. 
Let what you say simply be yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? Again, why is he talking about oaths and things like that? He's saying don't swear by any of those things because heaven is the throne of God. Earth is the footstool of God. Jesus is king. God is sovereign over your life is the point. You can't make one of your hairs white or black by worrying about it. I can't make mine grow back by worrying about it. I'm not sovereign. God is sovereign, and that's the point. Uh, And so the Apostle James is saying, don't trust or swear by your own strength when you're suffering. Or really at at any, any other time. Again, we were reminded about that last week when we looked at the first commandment. Only God is God. You and I, we're not God. We're not. Um, this may sound controversial nowadays, but I just want to speak to something that we tend to do in our struggles these days, even within the church. We may be tempted by the culture or by some uh, uh, false teaching that when I have something in my life that I don't like or uh, that is causing me trouble, what I can do is I can proclaim victory over that thing or I can decree uh, this thing out of my life or decree this thing over my life. I'm just going to... Um, uh, rebuke this thing out of my life, and I'll speak this other thing into existence in my life. No, that's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. Um, it's like it's like uh, the old, I saw a T-shirt. Uh, I think Tom Holland wore as Spider-Man one time. He says, "If you if you believe in telekinesis, raise my hand." <laughs> right? We don't have the power to do that. Right? So. Um, let's just be real. If we could, if we could like decree things into existence overall, we'd have a lot more money, a lot more hair, a lot less love handles, a lot less uh, relational strife. We, we would look a lot differently than we do if we could decree things into existence. Um, decrees are what rulers make. Decrees are what kings make. It's the, and, and decreeing things over our lives is the privilege of the king of kings. So in, in your, I know life can be painful, but we must uh, meet our pain with truth. We cannot decree victory in our lives, but we can lean into the one who is victory in our lives. His name is Jesus. So that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. So rather we should have the mindset, not I will decree it or I will We'll do it. But if the Lord, the real king, wills this thing in my life, I'm praying for that. I'm seeking God for that. But he knows best for me. I don't know best for me. I don't know best for you. I know Jesus is best for you. I know Jesus is best for me. And I know he knows what's best for me and for you. I'm trying to point you to Jesus this morning because we're not sovereign. Jesus is sovereign. But we should not despair and the fact that Jesus is sovereign. That is actually really, really great news, right? Um, God, who is your heavenly Father, if your faith is in Jesus the Son, is the King of heaven and earth. That's great news, especially if you're suffering. Because that means if you're suffering, and the King of heaven and earth is your Father, and He says, I'm with you, it means that He is. 
If he says, I am walking with you and I am sufficient for your suffering, I will help you endure. It means that he will and he can. He's capable of doing so precisely because he's God. It means that he says when Jesus will ultimately make things all, all things new, he can actually do that. And he will do that. Man, praise be to God that you and I are not the sovereign ones. Praise be to God that I'm not God. Talk about suffering. If I were God, we'd all be suffering. If you were God, we'd all be suffering. But we're not. The Lord Jesus, Yahweh is God. Let's put our trust in Him. He will make all things new. Look, um, you're either coming out of, going into, or about to, or, or have been in a time of suffering. That's how life works. You may have figured that out by now. now. The question is, who will you trust in your suffering? We all have to wait. There are certain things we can't do in our lives. How will you wait? Who will you look to in your waiting? Will you trust Jesus? The who you trust makes all the difference. I, I'm, I'm begging you this morning, trust the creator of all things. Almighty God, King of glory, let him be your anchor. Right? He will give you rest. He may give it now. That's up to him. But he will ultimately give it. That's up to him too. And he has promised it. You can count on it. Listen, if you haven't trusted your life to Jesus today, to have the true anchor of your soul, which means I don't have to, you know, I, I want this sin out of my life. And listen, if, if you realize, man, I'm what the Bible calls a sinner. I mess up a lot. I hurt myself. I hurt other people. I offend God with some of the things I think, say, or do, some of the motives I have. It's actually awesome that you feel that. That tells me that God has made you aware of your need for him. He loved you too much to let you go on sinning and not feel it. He's making you aware of this disease that we all have called sin that separates us from him. It's great when the doctor diagnoses you properly. It's even greater when the doctor says, here's the cure. Jesus says, here's your sin. And he says, he is the cure. He is the cure for our waiting now. He's the cure for where we go when we die. Jesus is the solution. If you haven't trusted in him, I want to talk to you more about that. Let's talk more about that. If you're already a follower of Jesus and you're in suffering, you're in waiting, you've been the farmer, you're working really hard, but you're waiting and you don't understand why the weather in your life looks the way it looks. Get a hold of a, a trusted brother or sister in Christ and help them walk with you. Let them point you to Jesus, who is sufficient for our waiting.